Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the show where we bring you the world's game from an American perspective. Joined, as I am every week, by media executive Grail Hallett and soccer journalist and OTB producer Sam Griswold. Today on OTB, we catch up with Eric Krakauer. Eric is, of course, a commentator and soccer analyst for BN Sports. Also a great guy, knows the game, and as always, we love to get caught up with him as Eric always brings a unique perspective to things. So a lot happening in the world of uh, football, as we call it here. Uh, a lot going on. Division One college soccer is up and running in the Big East, the Big South, Big Ten. Uh, a lot of action happening this week. A big week for U.S. soccer players playing abroad. Uh, and a great article uh, that we're going to talk to Sam about uh, by Paul Kennedy in Soccer America, one of our sponsors, of course, about uh, the numbers, the uptick in numbers and participation of kids playing sports. And a lot of it is has to do with the fact that their parents play. So it's finally starting to happen. A referee loses his shit and Grail gives us an update on U.S. soccer's financial matters. But before we get to Eric and all of that, guys, what are you over today on Over the Ball? Grail? Okay, I am over the 89th minute substitute in soccer. (laughs) And uh, I've, I've always felt compassion for the usually the young, the young the man, player, the yeah. player who's warmed up and he's going to get a minute plus stoppage time. But I'm moreover the assistant coach who's actually giving that player instructions <laughs> for what he's going to be doing over the next 90 seconds. And I'm like, other than going out there and, you know, either having a heart attack yourself or crippling someone, there isn't a lot that's going to transpire. So do we need to give chapter and verse on what your role is over the next 90 seconds to three minutes or whatever. Well, obviously a lot, a lot of these coaches want to, you want to get the feel of going in and getting uh, in front of the players. But that, to me, that was always embarrassing, more embarrassing than <laughs> soccer. Cause you can kind of hide a little bit yeah. was basketball. Uh, I remember, you know, you get substituted in the last 30 seconds. It's like, Oh, come on, man. They would empty and, the bench in college. Right. Yeah. And, and what's embarrassing, you, you, the way you look at the players, the, the look on the player's face when they're getting substituted at the 89th minute, it's always like, yeah, I'm getting paid well. I'm training all week. Yeah, fine. Yep. Well, yep. It, you, you got me. You got me, coach. The there thing that me. reminded me was in the Wolves match, Wolves Man City match, there was an American kid, and I'm just blanking on his name, Sam. You may remember his name, who came on, um, highly touted American player, came on in like the 89th minute. And I was like, right. I was like, what service does this? Well, provide? that happens though. That happens a lot. So there must be, you know, you, yeah. you get used to getting in and, and yeah, uh, I know. I getting know. your yayas out a little bit. <laughs> Sam, what are you over today on over the ball? Yeah. So I've, I've been over this before, but I'm, I'm just really over like mediocre penalty kicks that are being given. <laughs> and what I mean by that are when a player is, you know, going like away from the goal at the very edge of the box and maybe gets clipped. And that is somehow the same thing as, you know, a guy getting tackled, when he's about to score. Uh, so, but I've been over that before, so I know that doesn't really count. So I'm going to offer uh, part of a solution this week and I'm curious to get your guys take. So my solution is why doesn't soccer do what basketball and hockey do to the point where the player that is fouled has to take the ensuing free kick or penalty kick. The reason I think this will change things is because it will devalue the penalty kick somewhat because you can't just always have your best taker take it. So they will not be scored as frequently. And I think it would be fun to have, you know, like a defenseman charges up, a defender charges up the field, gets into the box, goes down, like they have to take the kick. That's interesting. That's almost like saying, you know, someone who gets fouled in a basketball game, 
your best foul shooter takes the shot. So I understand that if you get fouled, you get to take the shot. Um, well, don't in basketball too. Don't you remember the whole hack a shack thing where Shaq, cause he couldn't take free throws was basically being fouled all the time so that they would send him to the free throw, free throw right. line. Right. Right. I think um, it's interesting, Sam. We, you know, so you're saying anywhere, whether it's in the penalty box or if you're out in the pitch and there's a foul, that person well, should that, take essentially the free kick. That's how I'd originally pitch it. I mean, I, yeah. I could see it maybe being scaled back to just penalty kicks. But the free uh, kick would be a stretch, though, I think, because that's like saying, you it's know, a ball, goes, ball goes out of bounds and then only that player who. No, well, not the throw in. It's the know. same. Oh, I mean, in basketball, anyone can take the throw in. But yeah. um, I, I just think it would be it would lead to more quick restarts if, you know, you had to take the free kick right away. If the player that was fouled, because like a forward coming back in their own half wouldn't have. You couldn't just mm-hmm. leave it and go. I just think it would keep things moving a little better. I think I, I don't, you know, the quick restart is, is almost verboten dead. because it's sort of dead because they I stand right in front that, of the ball. And they, yeah. yeah. But like I tried to play it quickly, but if the guy stood in front of you, they should get a yellow card. They can't, they can't impede the play, but the referees right. don't seem to call that. They call yeah. it after a, a long time. And we saw that referee blow the um, call with the, uh, they tried to do the quick restart and, and uh, you know, they took a direct kick. And it went in and then it was called back and the whistle went yeah. too fast and the goalie wasn't ready. It's like well, so- sometimes the ball's rolling and obviously that you can't hit or hit a ball that's in motion as on the free kick. So, right. but I've always, I always liked that play. If you like, if you looked up quickly, well, the best example was remember Liverpool against Barcelona when they had that amazing comeback at Anfield, they did the quick corner. Yeah. Don't you remember? Yeah. yeah Barca you know, players that- were facing in the other direction and uh, Arnold took that. Quick Alexander Arnold. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So, but you know, in my college coach used to say, uh, poorly disciplined teams, when a foul is called, they hang their heads, they argue the call, try to replay quickly if you can. Oh, yeah. Because you can catch people off guard. And it, yeah, well, uh, it's, Wenger, it's Wenger has also thrown out the idea, and other people have too, of allowing a player that's fouled just to start like playing again, basically, the way yeah, you can start in rugby. Dribbling. Yeah. Uh, which oh. would also be interesting. Right. Well, the takeaway, they, you know, uh, would lessen the the taking away of the advantage of the player. So, or they just right. really start hacking people. All right, guys. <laughs> yeah. So uh, a really good week for a lot of American players, uh, you know, overseas and, and North American players, really some Canadians as well. But the biggest news, I guess, coming out uh, from across the pond is the Weston McKinney news. What do you got on that, Sam? Yeah. So McKinney has uh, officialized his move to uh, Juventus. Uh, so they had the option, basically they had him on loan technically at the beginning yeah. of this season with an option to buy for 18 and a half million euro. Uh, but you have already decided to pick up that option. Uh, the payments are going to be over the next three years. There could be an additional six and a half million going to Schalke, uh, depending on certain milestones. Um, but yes. Yeah, so well, you know, wait a second though. So, so there's milestones that McKenney as a player has to reach. And if he reaches them, it's not he, necessarily his ex-club benefits. Yeah, but those are incentives. They're, they yeah, for, they're incentives. for him or for, for him. Well, but the, it, it the club benefits, it could be the for other both club. That. I haven't looked into this in, in, in depth, but it could be something like Juventus getting in the Champions League, you know, or winning the league title uh, in a, or it could be he plays X amount of games, he scores mm-hmm. X amount of goals. So yeah. I, have, I haven't dug into those, uh, what those incentives are. But uh, the main thing is that most people in Italy, and I think everywhere else would agree, it's a, a pretty ridiculous bargain for a player as good as he is mm-hmm. uh, in today's, you know, marketplace, let's say for players. Um, and yeah. 
and he's, well, he's, and he's the, essentially on uh, you know he's set through 2025 right yep 2025 yeah, yeah. well you know i think there's still that uh misconception about american players where you know people will say okay we'll we'll test it out but they don't actually go with the contract there so um but he's doing well you've been following him all along sam so um yep. you know he's really progressed well did that has that surprised you his his level of play I think I knew he could he could handle it technically. I don't I don't think he would be out of place. I I thought he'd be used a little bit more as kind of like a, a wild card type player where they mm-hmm. slot him in where they need help. Um, well, they did in the beginning, of, right? They did I mean, that in the beginning a little bit. He was playing like some right mid, some central mid, even like on the left sometimes. But I am impressed and surprised at how quickly he's become like a real focal point of that midfield. I love his attitude. He's got a cocky swagger about him. He's mm-hmm. a fighter. It's uh, it's nice to see. So, but there's a yeah. lot of other players, uh, Cameron Carter, Vickers, and uh, Daryl Dyke both scored for their uh, their uh, championship teams. Uh, looking at Jeff Cameron, we you know haven't heard much of Jeff, but Jeff played 90 minutes for QPR uh, in a loss to Barnsley. Um, still going, still going. You know, and um, always like them. That second central defender, I just think it. You know, he's uh, aged out of the of World Cup discussion. Unfortunately, but yeah, you have uh, what else? You have Brendan Aronson, Red uh, Red Bull. Sergino Dest is back in the in the lineup for Barcelona. The last couple of starts after the nightmare he had. Uh, yeah, and Coleman was openly critical of him, and, and to his credit, he started him. I think in the next La Liga match, and which really gave I think Dest confidence, which was nice. Well, you know, we, talking to uh, Eric Krakauer, which we we do. Um, it's, he says Koyman's really kind of pulling things together there. So, uh, you know, you don't mind getting criticized by a coach if it's, uh, you know, you're developing and you're trying to motivate players and try to, uh, you know, let them know what they're doing right and they're doing wrong. So uh, mm-hmm. we also have Tyler Adams is playing over there and, and uh, Miazga had some action with Anderlicht. So, I mean, John Brooks at Wolfsburg, 90 minutes and a loss there. Uh, so some good stuff. Timothy Weah actually uh, yeah. scored a goal. Um, so we've got some players this year. Guys. Pul- uh, Pulisic's the guy who's kind of uh, a little bit in the wilderness at the moment. Uh, Tuchel yeah. hasn't quite decided where he's going to fit in, and he hasn't. He's got very limited minutes since Tuchel came on yeah, board. Yeah, you know, so. and that's that's surprising, but not surprising now that no. I look back on it because I thought originally, you know, Tuchel brought him up and thought, all right, this is great. He knows how he, what he can do, and what he's capable of, and this could be a good thing for Pulisic because Pulisic had to basically overcome all that other stuff um, with the last coach, you know, so with with Lampard. So I thought it would be great, but it it turns out maybe sometimes when you develop a young player, you kind of always consider him that that type of person so uh you know Polizic's obviously got a got a place on the U.S. national team but he's got to see minutes and yeah. there's, there's more and more talk about him maybe leaving going back to Germany so so who knows um and Yedlin you know he's playing for Galatasaray he's gotten the last what two starts I think and then uh he got pulled at the 45th minute um, at halftime um, he's certainly he was the third choice uh for newcastle so he's certainly doing a lot better than he was there he just i think he just needed a change of scenery so i'm happy for him and his, you know defensively uh his missteps have been lessened but i think they were still there he seems to get exposed quite a bit because that that you know breakaway speed that he has to mm-hmm. get forward uh sometimes he gets caught you know and he yeah. dives in and then he's out of position so um he's obviously gotten uh, you know, lessen that as the years have gone on, but, uh, but obviously hey, still learning, but I, I, you know, how long is it? Are you learning? And then how long is it is like, well, you're, you're a player. This is your, this is who you are as a player. 
Um, still in his mid-20s, though. How about the uh, Ibrahimovic controversy with LeBron? Did that surprise you guys? Yeah, it surprised me for sure. I mean, it, it made obviously headlines here also uh, over in Italy. And uh, yeah, I mean, just to, to recap, he was basically saying, uh, Ebro was saying he didn't really like it when athletes use their profile to talk about politics and they should basically just stick to sports. And I, I think why most people found it really confusing and myself included is that Ibrahimovic in the past has spoken out about mm -hmm. these things and about, you know, some racism that he faced as a kid and his favorite says his favorite athlete of all time is Muhammad Ali for what he did both inside and outside the ring. So it, to me, it's really strange because it's, it's not, you know, what the, the, the cliche is always, well, yeah, it's fine if an athlete speaks out unless they're not speaking about what I want them to speak about. Right. Right. This exactly. is sort of, he's saying something that you would imagine he'd agree with and still not psyched about it. So I, I don't know. It's, it's I thought it was really odd and out of character and, and, yeah. and, and maybe that it's going to be resolved. Cause I, I don't know if they crossed paths when they were in LA, when they were both playing in the same city, but it's just, you know, two iconic figures. And again, I'm with you, Sam, just seems like an odd position for Ebra to take. Yeah. yeah. So. He probably just yeah. said it off the cuff and then they just make more of it. Uh, you know, is I it mean, the that, English that, press? Because if it's the English press, that's what's happening. That's so he, it too. I mean, it, it's his opinion. And as an athlete, I guess, you know, he's entitled to it too. Sure. So it's, you know, I, I don't like yeah. when they don't speak up and speak yeah. their minds, yeah. you know? So, uh, and so, but Sam, to go back to all the players that are playing overseas now, all the mm -hmm. American players, I mean, this is a new thing. I mean, we, we can't not acknowledge that, that, you know, we used to have, McBride would be over there or you know, uh, Casey Keller was over there. We had one or two players that were, you know, actually having an impact on teams overseas, but now we have a lot of guys. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think this, this sort of uh, dovetails with uh, an article in soccer America about the growth of the game of participation, an article by um, one of our sponsors, soccer America and Paul Kennedy. Uh, talk about that a little bit, Sam. Yeah, so this was just this week in Soccer America, some really promising um, news from a survey that was taken on the the children of, um, I guess, what would be my generation, basically, uh, you know, people in their 30s. Um, what's that generation called? What's that? What's the name? Uh, that's a good question. So uh, I guess Gen we're millennials, y. but maybe there's somewhere in between. Um, I don't know. But anyway, this, this was a poll that was taken by um, something called Morning Consult. And yeah. uh, apparently they're a famous says, polling company. OK, um, so of Generation Alpha parents with kids ages three or older. So maybe I'm Generation Alpha. I don't even know where I fit. Um, 26 percent said their children played soccer, which was more than American football, 25 percent, basketball, 24 percent and swimming, 24 percent, which were the next sports with the highest participation rates. Um, Almost as cool, I think, is that the same parents said 23% of their children were soccer fans or frequent soccer viewers, um, which was wow. a higher percentage than any other sport except the NFL, which was 27%. And for contrast, um, soccer ranked fifth in viewing of Generation Z kids, uh, and those are kids born between 97 and 2012. So I feel like this is kind of what we've been waiting for for a long time. Yeah. Where, uh, you know, an entire generation is sort of born into a real soccer culture here. Yeah. Where they're growing up and watching games uh, during the week and on Saturdays and Sundays where it's actually there. They can they can turn on the TV. And um, instead yeah, of I was surprised lacrosse wasn't in there, Sam, because where I live, lacrosse is so big with the at the youth level that mm -hmm. uh, I thought that might uh, I, he, I hear about lacrosse growing very quickly, but I yeah. think it's in very specific regional areas. 
Yeah, it's, it's, your, it, your elitist area is there, Grail. No, it actually, no, it's a fully national sport. I mean, when, when Princeton's coach went out to Denver and built that whole Denver University team, lacrosse basically moved west. And it's, uh, I mean, it always was a prep school northeast sport traditionally, but it's actually like a fully national sport now. And soccer was that for a long time. I know, uh, yeah. you know, before my time, actually, they used to talk about private schools or maybe Catholic schools in St. Louis were the big powerhouses. So, uh, Grail, so, so some interesting financial news with U.S. soccer. We were following it last week. You have some follow-up information for us uh, for this week? Yeah, I'll put on my, what do you call it, uh, Flinny, my green visor? What, what, what do you do, the whole accounting You start crunching thing? numbers? Yeah, yeah exactly. Just, the number two I fall pencil. asleep. The number two asleep. pencil. No, I'm just going to d- d- top line it. Uh, yeah, U.S. soccer, we knew that they were suffering financially. They're looking at a at an operating deficit of um, around $39 million for fiscal year 2021, which ends, I believe, at the end of March of this year. And then the new fiscal year starts on April 1st. And um, they had, with the games being pushed back, they took on, uh, you know, the, the, um, the friendly, all, all the matches that the U.S. men's national team and women's team do. Um, they got pushed back because of COVID. And uh, so those were, um, those are added expenses that are coming up into the new, yeah. into the new, uh, the new fiscal. But the, the good news is, so they only played 12 matches combined between the U.S. men's national team and U.S. women's national team in this last fiscal year. But they're looking at playing 24 matches for the men's and 20 for the women in this upcoming fiscal. So there are going to be a lot more games. Again, provided COVID works out okay, provided states like Texas and Mississippi yeah, don't decide yeah. to not wear masks. I know, I mean, I, we do have to make that point because that will affect everything. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's got, you know, we, we knew it wasn't a, a pretty picture, but I think with all these matches, that are coming up. The, the only thing is with the Olympics, they can't recoup any revenue because it's not like a world cup, right? right that's right. generating revenue. So, um, but what'd you say? 32 million in the scope of things doesn't yeah. seem like a ton of money. I mean, so the, the other thing related that I had to mention, cause it's so bizarre. And if you haven't seen the video of this guy, there's a guy named Seth John, J A H N who's a member of the U S soccer's athletes council. And they had their annual meeting last weekend. And this guy went off on a, like this anti, well, I'll just call it a racist tangent where he was basically saying that um, police brutality was really not as big a deal as people made it out to be. And then he was also equivocating about slavery and somehow saying that slavery has existed in all sorts of countries. Anyway, Seth is no longer a member of the Athletes (laughs) Council. How old is he, like 90 or something? He's a young guy. He's in his 30s. He's totally tatted up. He fits a profile that I will not get into. How did he get the gig, man? It didn't surprise me, given um, some of his other utterances over, you know, the past six months to a year. But anyway, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Anyway, catch the video. You can go. I I actually saw it on Soccer America and... uh, they moved very quickly to basically say thanks, but uh, we don't need your services. Anymore. Well, you know, it's it's amazing because I've had enough of this cancel culture with you know people getting so offended at the slightest slight, uh, yeah. but then you hear something like that and you're like, oh my god, that's why we cancel things because people are still morons. Basic facts are are disputed and and you know, oh, it's yeah, like- and and oh, also he did he did have a uh, beef with the fact that the uh, you know they've repealed that law which said that you had to stand 
at uh, national team games. The players had to stand and they repealed that. And he had a beef with that because it was not patriotic and it was blah, blah, blah. So that was another- All this false patriotism they wear on their sleeves. Plus you got to say like half the players on the pitch aren't from the United States. So it's like, you know, wow. And and, uh, it's it's, it's endless. So um, US men's Olympic team head coach, Jason Christ calls up 31 players from the under 23s for a training camp in Mexico ahead of the March 18th qualifier against Costa Rica um, and Atlanta, Atlanta FC. Wow. This is interesting. Refuses to release three of its players who are selected. That's unfortunate. Yeah. That is well, unfortunate. Kind of like is... our, our team is more important than the national team and they do have the right to not release players. So well, that's going to piss off a lot of people. Klinsman yep. didn't let a couple of his guys go. Uh, Allison and, uh, and Firmino, I know. Wow. And then uh, Klopp. And, uh, Klopp, I mean, yeah. And then, uh, you always somehow get it back to Klinsman. I know. Well, maybe I'm getting my I'm getting my Germans mixed <laughs> oh up. Oh my god! It's, uh, it's to be held. So uh, some MLS news. Uh, Terry Henry resigns as head coach of, of Montreal. But uh, you know, and I don't blame him, man. Just says it's he cites the separation from his family due to COVID protocols. Well, they had a bizarre situation where they because Canada w- wasn't allowing games being played at you know home stadiums, they had to basically camp out in um, Harrison. New Jersey and play all the games at Red Bull Arena. And that, that went on for like two months. And now they're looking at having to do the same thing for this year. Um, so I just think he said, you know, I miss my family too much, but uh, you, you wonder if he'll get another shot because it's, he only did this for a year. He had like an eight, 13 and two record. Um, he only lasted three months as the head coach at Monaco and then moved on. And, um, you know, you just wonder if he gets another shot, if he wants one over in Europe. Or he goes back to coaching with Martinez, maybe. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so some Barcelona news. I'm not going to get into it because we get into it with John Krakauer in our interview. Eric. Next. Eric. John Krakauer, the writer, read all his books. Flinny's going then, into the void. Eric can't write. I'm going into the Klopp, Klinsman, Krakauer, Krakauer void. Um, you know, I read all those books. Man, it pissed me off because at the end of the day, he always made himself look great. John Cracker, he's like, you know, everybody's dying around him. And he's like, but I made it. I did it. So, uh, all right. So um, yeah, we'll talk about that uh, Barca gate there and uh, some EPL action. There's some today. I know this is going to be after the, the podcast is posted, but uh, great Chelsea Liverpool game to watch today. Uh, Gareth Bale seems to have come out of his little uh, bullpen shell there. Yeah. Great, I mean, he great performance to his two goals and, and an assist. Yeah, I've got to say that I was really happy for him just as a fan um, to see a guy return to his club and he really hasn't, you know, he's only started a handful of games and he's not been on form. And uh, he just, if, if uh, I'd say to all of you guys and our listeners, if you haven't seen the assist, I mean, you will never see a better pass in your life. This thing is just a bullet from like 60 yards. And uh, yeah, then two nice goals. And the thing is, Mourinho opened it up for Spurs. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, will he come to his senses and let this be what they can do? Because they had, you know, Bale, they, they had Bale and, and Son and Kane up top, and they were very dynamic. So oh, that's all three of those guys. I think that they almost match up with the Liverpool front three, even though they're in a bit of a funk. But uh, that is quite uh, that is quite a front three. That you yeah. Got. So open it up. Yeah, we don't know. We don't know if that's the like the glimmer of like bail and then he disappears again but i'm hoping that he can regain some of his form because no more parking the bus Mourinho, and uh, yeah. and your boys over at chelsea man with the tuchel there uh it looks like he's doing that 
Well, yeah, the man, you know, the man United Chelsea match last weekend, you know, I, we, we had talked about me saying I hated when com- commentators would call something fascinating. The commentators couldn't even call this fascinating because it was nothing approaching. It was just boring, like a thousand square passes in the match. I mean, that's what it was. Like, it just drove me crazy. We love this game. It can be incredibly exciting, but uh, yeah, there can, at times, it can be pretty mundane. That's why I think Liverpool Chelsea is going to be like a one all tactical draw where nobody takes a lot of chances. Oh, you think a tie? You're going to do it. I think a low scoring tie. Yeah. I think two one Liverpool. That's okay. Prediction. So, all right. uh, We'll know by the time this thing airs. All right. So, um, let's, uh, let's, Wrap up this segment. And get uh, get uh, John slash Eric Krakauer on <laughs> on the show. I'm gonna call him Eric Klopp Klinsman. <laughs> John Krakauer. Uh, he's a friend of ours. We played with him for years. He's a good player, and uh, man, he's really um, uh, a bright, shining new star in the broadcast world. And as you know, on Over the Ball, we always talk about the need for an American voices in the game, and and Eric brings a unique one. So coming up, our interview with Eric Krakauer. You're listening to Over the Ball. Over the Ball is brought to you by Soccer America. Go to SoccerAmerica.com slash join and sign up for the Soccer America Pro Membership. It's just $4.90 a month or $49 a year. And by Ticket IQ, the simplest and cheapest way to buy tickets. Go to TicketIQ.com and when it asks for the promo code, punch in OTB10 for $10 off of your purchase. Can't lose. All right, joining us now on Over the Ball, uh, he is a friend of the show, uh, the former Manhattan kicker. That's got to be one of his top line uh, accolades there, playing with Grail in the midfield. That uh, you got to see a therapist after you play with Grail in the midfield. Uh, he's a commentator and analyst for Being Sports. Does a great job. Uh, Eric Krakauer, welcome back to Over the Ball, pal. How are you? Uh, thanks. Great to be back. I actually, that's the way I introduced myself to women when I was single. <laughs> I am a Manhattan kicker. It got me a really long way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at the dive bar where everybody used to meet up. That was about yeah, it, exactly. I would imagine. Crack, I, crack, I usually say I'm a recovering Manhattan kicker. Well, yeah, we all are. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, you know, this is a big part of our lives. We leave, you know, you you finish college, you go into the city or, you know, wherever you are, you start to find the guys to play a little soccer. They become your sort of support system and your buddies. You watch games with them. You know, you have a burger and a beer after the kick arounds during the, the middle of the week. So it's a big part of your 20s and 30s and then hopefully into your 40s. And yeah. then you you got to stop playing. So, Eric, my question to you is uh, you have a baby now, a beautiful little baby. And how has that affected playing ball? Is it uh <laughs> so is the wifey let you go or what yeah well not as much as the pandemic i'll tell you that <laughs> yeah, yeah right right i mean she she was she was an obstacle uh in terms of she my daughter was an obstacle in terms of going to play soccer because i couldn't leave uh my fiance adriana by by herself you know for right. long periods of time but then the pandemic hit and it's a completely different story but i was just thinking as you were talking about you know uh after college hanging out with your, your soccer player friends going for a burger yeah. going uh, for a beer that seems so foreign to me now, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because of this past year. But even, uh, you know, after living for a number of years in, in New York City and knowing you and playing and playing with Grail, coming to Miami, that part never really translated fully to new Miami uh, life because it's something that becomes ingrained or became ingrained in my New York life. So that was a, a transition in itself. And, and I do miss that lifestyle, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, you know, they, they, there are some of your, your better friends. And I think, uh, you know, that the hard part is 
you know, you go to a new place and you're a little older and you have a baby, suddenly you're a, you're a liability crack, you know, you, know, <laughs> <laughs> you gotta go home, but, uh, but, it, but it's some good stuff. And the other thing is I say, people say, cause I'm not playing much anymore. Um, and Grail's falling apart as we see, <laughs> um, but uh, what I miss more than anything is talking soccer after the game, you know? And I think uh, one of the things I like about the way you broadcast is that there's that feel where you're talking to your buddies and you're talking about the game. So it's, uh, do, you, do you try to recreate that when, you, you know, when you're on being sports? Well, it's interesting that you, you asked that. Um, you know, I've moved recently, as you guys know, I started as, as a color commentator at BN and I moved to play-by-play, um, which I prefer to do because you have more control over uh, the, the conversation, if you will. And one of the things that I've tried to do, and I think a lot of commentators do this, is you steal from the commentators that you look up to. And I've been very fortunate that I've, that I've worked and continue to work with some very talented play-by-play uh, announcers. Phil Shane, who's a Hall of Famer. You know, Andres Cordero. I used to work with Kevin Egan, who's now with uh, Atlanta United. So I, 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 I take bits and pieces, but I've also uh, taken on parts of the Spanish commentating, the, the, the Spanish commentators that, that we have at BN, very talented guys. And, you know, as you guys know, because you're all football people, very different styles. And I right. try to, to make my own. And part of that has been how do I um, connect a little bit more with my audience without speaking directly to them and without losing the, 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 the formality of what I do and without escaping the, the parameters of what is acceptable. I try to connect as much as I can, whether that's with narratives or even sometimes asking them questions or saying, well, you, you, you be the judge of that, you know, decision at home, things like that. Right. 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 Uh, yeah. It's interesting, Eric, cause we, I was going to ask you this question. You almost just fully answered it, but um, you know, we talk a lot about what American soccer should sound like on TV. And obviously we mainly just borrow the English from the English model uh, as we do like in a lot of things with soccer, but I'm curious because your background is also in Portuguese. You, you have much more, uh, much broader sort of inspiration. And it's, it's a funny balance trying to create what it should sound like. Do, do you have a sense of like a, a goal that you're going for? Uh, yes. Uh, I want to sound like I know what I'm talking about. No, that, no that's going to be a stretch, dude. That'll be a stretch. Yeah, no, but you, you know, Sam, I ask, my, I ask myself that question all the time and I'm certainly not alone. I think a lot of commentators do, especially in this country. I think one of the benefits of being, an American commentator is that I'm not limited by the strictures of the English school of commentating, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't have to do the, the, the Martin Tyler. I don't have to do the, the John champion. I have more wiggle room. Mm -hmm. Um, having said that, you know, Twitter can be a cesspool and, Mm -hmm. and, uh, I often get criticized for my way to, uh, of calling this or the way that I interpreted a play, uh, or for not being traditional, enough or not being exciting right. enough. So there are people out there that expect a particular brand of commentating and you're never going to, to, to fit into what mm-hmm. it is that they perceive is the right way. But I do think that one of the great benefits of being a, being a commentator in this country is that you do have more room to experiment and to find exactly what you want your voice to be. And, and I'm grateful to be in sports that they've never you know, been on top of me and said, you have to do it this way or you have to do it that way. I do meet with producers uh, after after games uh, sometimes. Uh, there's one in particular, uh, Brees Vincent Jr., who is a very talented 
Haitian producer that I work with and he and I talk all the time and he's very direct with me. He'll say, you know, you were behind the play on that one or you oh, have nice. to let the game breathe in that situation. And that sort of feedback is very, very important, I think. Yeah, I would say that with uh, comedy, even when I used to come off stage and other comics, you know, if you, once you go on the road and you're headlining and things, you come off stage and you don't know what went right, what went wrong. You just kind of say, oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But when you have when it used to be other comedians watching you, they'd give you some feedback. And that's one thing I think that was um, that was lacking sometimes. See, when I did the 94 World Cup, um, I had no thank God there was no Twitter because, you know, you would have got I was trying to put humor into the broadcast as well and uh, to cover it. And uh, I remember I went to Universal Studios afterwards and everybody there had been watching the game. So they all knew who I was. And the English guys were like, oh, there he is. Didn't like what he was doing. Didn't like what he was doing. I'm like, oh, guys, you guys don't get it. But I think what I say with the reason I would say with comedy is I used to watch certain comics that I loved and I would try to emulate them. And then you're trying to do an impression of them in a weird way. And then all of a sudden it synthesizes and it becomes your own after you you get enough, um, you know, tries at it. So uh, I think we need more American voices like that. And I think your experience, like with the world's game, but also as an American, you know, you're, you're here, you watch basketball, you watch hockey, you watch football. It's like, it, it becomes part of our, our overall broadcast. I remember, uh, Rebecca Lowe, she was asking me why I didn't know this certain midfielder in Everton in the 70s. And I said, I, we, we just didn't get it. I said, do you know who Will Chamberlain is? And she goes, who's, who's that now? I go, I, Larry Bird? No, no. I'm like, okay, well, these are the names, you know? Right. So, all right. So, um, Grail? Yeah, uh, Craig, uh, great talking shop with you always. I'm just curious, kind of along the lines of what we were just talking about. How do you how do you measure your 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 the success of a broadcast that you're doing? Do you have, do you have the time because you're doing so many in succession? I wonder. Obviously, you're getting feedback from one of the producers, but when you step back, how do you measure the success of that broadcast? And then, how do you build on that? Um, look, I you know I think that anybody who wants to do something well has to be his own or her own. Um, biggest critic and so what I often do is I listen back to my calls and it you know it's 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 uh, it makes me cringe sometimes because we all hate right. to listen to our own voices mm-hmm. um, so you listen to a 90-minute broadcast and and then what I do is I pick out points that, you know I, I spoke too much there and that made me um, follow the play a little bit late so I need to be careful when I come in and, and bring in narratives that are outside of, of the, the field of play. So I think it happens initially. It has to happen with me at home. Uh, but I also tend to listen sometimes to what other people say. And look, you know, one thing that I was told very early on into my still uh, burgeoning career, you know, I'm still very early uh, mm-hmm. in the early stages of my career is don't pay attention to the to the. Uh, outside comments don't go to twitter don't listen to what people are saying about you uh you know stick to the people who are within the profession stick to your producers those are those are the most important people and then of course work at your craft which which i do all the time but i think just to, to to add something to to that answer i think i knew i was doing better and better when i started getting feedback from from people in, in, in our profession outside of being sports. So when people from Fox or somebody from ESPN would reach out to me and say, you know, I really like the way you called that game. I actually just recently got an email from um, 
a, a commentator from an MLS club who said, really enjoyed your call, loved your goal call. Uh, you were in the moment, excellent stuff. And, and, and oh, so that's, that, nice. that's yeah. first of all, very nice for that commentator to, to just come out and, and take the time to, to send me an email. But that's the kind of thing that really injects confidence into my commentary and, and just in, into my analysis as a whole. That's nice to hear, especially from other professionals, because, you know, there's been, an, you know, Twitter will kill you sometimes. They're just people pumping things out there and they don't necessarily know the game so much. I mean, I've sat through some MLS games and I've talked about this with the guys, uh, people yelling out some things that are like just absurd. Like they don't know the game. They're new fans and we love them. We want them to be part of it. But I guess uh, you don't want to hear them from them in the echo chamber there with uh, the minutia of your broadcast. Um, Sam? Yeah. And well, first just on that too, there's, there's just so many different ways to call a game. Like we've talked about before, everyone thinks, you know, the English do it perfectly, but I mean, all you have to do is turn on a Spanish broadcast of a game, even if you don't understand the language to know that they're talking a lot more and a lot more animatedly. Um, so sp uh, sticking with craft, um, uh, we talk a lot about our sort of disappointment in sometimes how the MLS and college soccer is, broadcast here and the fact that they don't really build any narrative into it they don't tell a lot of the stories you know often the coverage starts at like 6 59 p.m and the game starts at seven and uh, i'm curious how you go about doing that for these leagues that you cover like in turkey for example where you know you i assuming you don't speak the language and uh you don't have a uh, i never assume that with <laughs> yeah. crack man he's, he's like jeff 007 man you, you never know, know where he's gonna wind turk, up the crazy turk the crazy turk but you know in a city you've you know likely never been to and uh you know it can't be easy no so the thing is we do have a lot of uh, properties uh, at bn and i'm involved in all of them so you know la liga liga turkish super league in europe and then you have the libertadores and the sudamericana just yesterday i was hosting not calling uh two libertadores games in the first stage so you're talking about teams like cesar vallejo which is a very small Peruvian team, Caracas from uh, from Venezuela, obviously, you know, teams like that where you ha really have to do, especially with Cesar Vallejo, you really have to do your research. So, you know, I'm consumed by, by this game. I always have been. Anybody who knows me knows that, right. you know, I'm, uh, I, I have a little bit of a disease. Uh, a junkie. Is, You're a junkie. I'm a, I'm a junkie, junkie. the perfect word. I, I'm yeah. a football junkie. But the, the amount of, of, um, research that I do into games, in, into players, uh, is significant. And I spend a lot of time doing it. I was just telling a, 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 a commentator at BN, somebody who's just starting to, to, to commentate games, that I spend on average three to four hours preparing for each game that I call as, as a play-by-play -play, uh, oh. announcer. Uh, that's a that's a long time and it takes away from you know my home life a, a little bit but I feel that in order to do it well that's exactly what I have to do when we have so many properties from so many places but Sam I want to touch on something that you said uh, about the the Spanish commentators and mm -hmm. you can you know talking much more uh, one of the things that has always stuck with me is that even if you don't understand uh, Spanish you listen to a game on a Spanish network and there is a passion about mm. the way they narrate the game that sometimes I find is absent from English commentary. Mm. So that has actually been one of the, the, the key ingredients that I have tried to include in my commentary. And I think you hear that with my goal calls because I'm genuinely, it's, it's, it's not artificial, right? It's not contrived. That's mm. genuinely how I feel about the goals. Mm. And at, at the beginning of my play-by-play -play career, I was a little bit embarrassed that sometimes I'd lose my voice mm -hmm. 
uh, in the moment. But then I realized maybe those are the best goal calls because mm-hmm. it has a way of 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 uh, uh, it, it it has a way of showing people that I am very immersed in what it is that I'm doing, right? right? I'm passionate about what I'm doing. I'm feeling the game as opposed to just going through the motions. Well, you're in the moment, which is like, that's a yeah. great, even, not even to say an actor, but yeah, an, an actors are not acting. They're, they're believing they're in the moment. So um, Sam. Uh, well, I'll just follow up. And I think Rail had a question, but I, I completely agree. And I, you know, even when you watch a Champions League game on, uh, you know, TUDNA, if I'm saying that right, uh, just the oh, fact between that the, between the two of you, Grail and I are sounding like morons. We're, we can barely speak English. <laughs> just, uh, I mean, I, I totally agree. And, you know, because even just the fact that there's a reporter there on the sideline on the field before the game. And, you know, I don't understand everything he's saying, but it just it shows the investment that's there. Um, and it's it's just good to see. Sorry, Greg. Well, like, well you know what? But, but yeah. even to go back to the English game, like when I was in, when I was at one of the cups in France, and we would interview English people on the streets, it was very sedate and very yeah, measured, it's cultural. Yeah, cultural. And then you'd uh, you know you'd interview an American, they'd be like, "Hey, what's up? How's it going? It's awesome here." You know, and and that should come across in our in our culture with our broadcasts. So yeah. uh, so crack crack is leading the way. Grail? So, uh, yeah, crack. Uh, we've got a big election coming up on Sunday. Uh, I don't want to get too knee deep into Barsagate and everything that's swirling oh. around that club. And has oh, this is this is right around. in crack's wheelhouse. This but, but, is right but, but in crack's any, wheelhouse. In any case, uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts about that and also just kind of elections in general and what they lead to because, you know, the Barca situation is so unique because of the fan base and the fact that they're the owners and stuff. So anything you can, uh, you can lend to that would be helpful. Oh, you know, because we haven't been talking about elections enough. Is it strange that I I start to shake when I hear the word elections? (laughs) Yeah. Rigged. Uh, Yes. Uh, there, there is, uh, there is a big election. This, this Barcelona election, it's a long time coming. It was postponed because of COVID, um, and uh, I think that the, the fact that it was uh, postponed only highlighted all the issues that Barcelona are going through is going through uh, right now. Whether it's financial issues, just complete uh, a lack of synchronicity between between the board and and what happens on the pitch at various levels, from the youth level uh, to the to the first team, but. Uh, I have to say that I, I'm not a big believer that this election, and I'm certainly not an expert. Uh, we actually have a very good reporter in, in Barcelona, Jamie Easton, who knows Barcelona through and through. But I, I'm not quite sure whether it's Victor Font or or, or uh, Laporta uh, or is or is uh, Freixa, the, the the third candidate, who I think has the, the doesn't really stand a chance in, in this election. I don't know how much that changes what happens with Barcelona. All I do know is that they have a lot of work to do because the club is in dire straits. I mean, they right. are financially uh, strapped. For years, they've been overpaying for players, uh, particularly the sort of reflective, uh, reflexive moves after Neymar left because they, they felt like they had the, their backs against the walls and, and the wall, and they brought Coutinho in and, and Dembele. Dembele, credit to him, is finally starting to show some of the talent that he showed in spurts at, at Dortmund. Uh, uh, as well but I think in the end we'll see that Laporta who was the president between 2003 and uh, 2013 something like that or 2014 probably the most successful 
Barcelona president in terms of trophies because two Champions Leagues and a number of leagues. I think he will win again. And uh, rumor has it or reports are that he has a big financial backing. So uh, that is good news. And I think he's the favorite exactly because of his past record and his relationship with Messi. And another point to make about, uh, about Messi, Laporta right? is that he, he was the guy who chose not to go with Mourinho uh, and actually promoted Guardiola from, from the B side. Mm. You know, I think it's not often that you can actually draw a straight line between the front office and the, and the what's happening on the field. But it seems like with Barca, you can. Uh, do you think it's part of like not getting rid of players that are still in their prime, but you got to move them and keep things fresh? And it sounds like uh, they felt like a lot of the players were sort of sedentary and sort of just chilling out. I mean, it's nice to play with 10 players that are uh, at Barca's level. You know, you don't want to go anywhere. But it seems like they said that a lot of the players got really uh, sort of sedate in their in their ways. Well, players are aging as yeah, well. Yeah. And they've got these enormous contracts. I mean, they're earning more money than they would ever earn anywhere else. You look at yeah. uh, Gerard Piquet, who I still think is probably the top defender at Barcelona. I know he gets a lot of sticks. Sergio Busquets, who, who maybe reinvented his position when he was at his, as, at his very best, but he is losing some mobility. He's, he was never the most mobile player right. uh, to begin with. But I think part of it has to do with the fact that it was always going to be difficult to deal with the anticlimax after what was the apex of the greatest uh, footballing performance we've ever seen in football history. From, yeah. from, from the, the, the Barcelona that had the likes of Thierry Henry, that had, obviously, we don't need to mention Messi, but you had the Atus, you had, you had Deco, you have Xavi Hernandez, Iniesta. Everything wow. after that was going uh, to taste of anticlimax. So they mm. had to deal with that. They, they couldn't just let go of these players because these players are a part of the, the fabric, not only of that team, but of, of the club. And I think so in order to sort of mitigate that, that downfall, uh, the administration, Bartomeu's administration, uh, made some very, very poor financial decisions. I already mentioned the two players that they brought in. And so right. everything just so, snowballs after that. What do you think about the Messi watch? What do you, what, what's your ear to the ground? What do you think is going to happen there? Uh, I think that uh, I think he'll stay. I think he'll stay. I, I was a big believer that he would stay um, even after this this dispute with Bartomeu. Now we know that he was basically being held prisoner by the club. Well, not necessarily. I mean, he was he was getting paid handsomely, and his contract hadn't run out yet. But there had been this agreement between Bartomeu and Messi that uh, that if Messi wanted to leave, that the president would let him go. But but Bartomeu, who was arrested a few days ago didn't want to be the president, didn't want to be known, his legacy, didn't want his legacy to be the president who allowed Messi to walk out the door. And even though Messi was upset about that, I think in the long run, Messi will be happy with it because right now I think we are seeing Barcelona in the ascendancy. I think Ronald Koeman has done a very good job. Eric Garcia today uh, from Manchester City uh, agreed to move to Barcelona for free in the summer. So there is a rebuild happening right now with quality players that I think will put Barcelona in competitive footing over the next two seasons. And I think that will keep Messi at camp now. You know, it's interesting with the level of corruption that happens in our game that I was talking to the guys about this before you got on, but basically it doesn't seem like with the level of corruption that, that this it's almost like a PR scam, just a misappropriation of funds. The PR is going 
to, you know, to take on your enemies, which is not right, but it doesn't seem like it rises to the level of an arrest. Why does it get to that level, do you think? Well, it's interesting because from my understanding, PricewaterhouseCoopers did a, did a whole, uh, a whole deep dive into the financial mismanagement and what happened there with the hiring of this social media firm. Right. Uh, and they found no financial wrongdoing. Uh, that okay. doesn't mean that what they did was ethical, you know, trying to malign players in order to, to gain uh, political capital at, at the club. It obviously did not work. I don't know right. how they ever thought they were going to get away with it. But from from talking to Jamie Easton, the the uh, the reporter that, that I, I talked about a second ago, it, it just doesn't seem like there is a criminal case there. Right. Uh, it doesn't seem like they were, you know, embezzling money or they were laundering money in, in, in any way uh, associated with what they were doing with that social media company. Okay. Sam? Yeah, just one last question on this, Crack. I'm, I'm curious what you think about the overall structure of Barcelona, the way it is this club-run team with elections every so often and how that might contribute to this instability. I mean, obviously, we all know how crazy things can get when you're you know, need to elect a new leader and you get infighting and all this stuff. Not that it doesn't happen at other clubs, but I'm just curious what, what role you think that plays. Yeah, are they going to have uh, people storm club new? <laughs> <laughs> well, it wasn't far from it a, a few yeah. months ago before yeah. Bartomeu uh, actually resigned uh, before the vote of no confidence uh, was uh, came about. But uh, look, I, I think that with anybody who is in a position of power and you want to stand a chance of being reelected one or you want to be remembered fondly you try and do whatever you can in the short term to be successful and so maybe the problem with with uh uh clubs that are owned by the socios which is the case with barcelona which is the case with my club sporting club portugal for example is that a lot of the planning is short-term planning um you know, you spend all this money now to get the big time players and worry with the financial, worry about the financial pitfalls somewhere down along the line. And if you're lucky, you'll kick that bucket or that can far enough away that you won't actually have to deal with it. Another administration will. And that's exactly what we're seeing with Barcelona, with Laporta or Font, the two favorites uh, coming in and having to deal with that as well as the sporting crisis that some people think Barcelona is going through. I don't think it's that serious. Victor Font in, in, in that regard, uh, his big pitch is that he will bring uh, Xavi uh, with him and that Xavi will take over the club and will have, uh, will have authority over everything that happens on the playing side of things from the youth ranks all the way uh, to the very top. And let's be honest, soccer is a lot much more fun to watch when Barcelona is Barcelona. You know, it's uh, it's just great. It's a really gold standard there. So, uh, well, man, we appreciate your comments and, and uh, all that you're doing. Crack hour. Now, look, I played for the Hartford Portuguese many years. Uh, love the Portuguese people. My first coach is Jose Barros. I think I said to you this before. I always thought that the Portuguese style of play would really translate well with Americans. Um, it's athletic, it's, it's fast moving, it's skillful, um, but never met a crack hour. That sounds like it might be <laughs> yeah. Greek. What, what is, yeah, uh, crack hour, that's my father's name. So my father was German born, a German born American. Uh, uh, uh -huh. Diaz is my, Diaz is my, my Portuguese name. 
And so my mother said, is still very upset that I don't use it professionally. In the middle, right? You should have it in the middle of your yeah, names. I think Eric you could... Diaz Krakauer. It just seems a little bit like a mouthful for for, for, <laughs> for, for, for most most people. Yeah. For, well, for an American kid, South America, it'd be like four names short, maybe. Uh, yeah. A, a well, plus you couldn't say I'm addicted to crack, which is the, the <laughs> oh, there. There we go. You know? <laughs> which, which is my calling card. Of course I, it is. I've seen the bumper sticker. Yeah. Before before every every broadcast, it is funny though. Uh, you know, talking about not going to see what people are writing about you, but I called the World Cup qualifier between uh, Brazil and Bolivia, and you, you know, and this is a this is a point of discussion uh, among commentators. And Derek Ray of ESPN is somebody who's really on Love the Derek. forefront of this Good discussion. Game. Give respect to the names of the players, right? Yeah. Uh, pronounce them the way they're supposed to be pronounced. Now, sometimes that's easier said than done. Right? I'm not going to right. pronounce a Polish name perfectly. Uh, Blazikowski, for example. I'm sure I'm not doing him a, a lot of justice. And I was actually calling in the Brazilian game. I wasn't saying Co uh, uh, Coutinho. I was saying Cochinho, which is the way that you're supposed to pronounce right. his name. Now, my name is Eric Krakauer. So anybody who's not familiar with me or my commentary thinks that I'm American. So I got destroyed, <laughs> destroyed for even right. daring to say Cochinho you know, it, it, pronouncing his name correctly. Uh, and, and so I think it is funny. It's only afterwards that people realize that I'm Portuguese. So they give me a little bit more license, yeah, a little more cred, Portuguese names. But it's hard. I mean, something you can't pronounce the names if you can't speak the language sometimes. And if you're, you're Krakauer in the United States, you're like, what are you, Undos Krakau in Germany? It's like, mm -hmm. is that the proper way to pronounce right. the name? Because right. Sam can speak Italian. So he can, he throws that Italian in there and, uh, and I get it. But I mean, like even playing for the, the Portuguese teams, the coach will go, Kebings, Kebings. I'm like, is that K-E-B-B-I-N-G-S? What is that? Like, supposed to go, excuse me, uh, my name is Kevin. It's Kevin. Kevin, Kevin, come on, must get the ball to Kebings. So uh, it's it's weird. But, you know, you talk about your mother's from here, your father's from there. It's like, we're all Americans, man. And that's uh, that's what the beauty of this country is. So, uh, And your commentary is beautiful as well. And as far as being addicted to crack, how many... New York women back there in the day at the kickers are saying, walking around the city now going, where is he? We just hope to, to get crack. the stuff that, that, that crack discarded. We hope to get the stuff that crack that's, discarded. Yeah. That's all you can hope for. Very few. <laughs> a lifetime ago. A lifetime ago. Isn't it? Isn't it? Could you crack? You have a baby and you know, you're, you're in love with your, your uh, fiance, your wife. And it's like, yeah. oh my God, that's like a distant memory. It's like what hanging I, in a I bar. I mean, I look at I look at Grail and I you know I can't help but think of the mornings we used to wake up at eight in the morning oh, God, in yeah. December to play in Nyack, for example, yeah. which was closer to your house, so that was easier for you. Yes, but uh, but or, or going down to the to the Lower East Side, getting those whipping winds from the East River in December, and I keep thinking to myself, I used to hate it at the time. Yeah, right. but now I miss it. But how did oh, yeah. we do it? How yeah. did we do it? <laughs> well, I, oh, I, you I, hate it. I, I remember one of those mornings, Crack, where we were playing in like early December and it was about minus 12. And I took a half volley to the inside of the thigh <laughs> from point blank range. And I thought, I mean, I've never been in more agony. And at that point I was like, why am I doing this? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, the only worse than that is taking a squash ball to the ass. Yeah. Yeah. Be, it, it, <laughs> That's pretty so. bad too. 
All right. Well, crack, man, we, we, we so appreciate the work you do and, and for joining us on over the ball, keep up the, the good work in uh, representing the myriad of voices and, uh, and inspirations and cultures that you have and that you bring to your, to your broadcasts. And uh, yeah, you take it seriously, man. And it really shows in, uh, in your work. So uh, keep it up all the best. Eric Crackire, thanks for joining us on over the ball. Uh, thanks for having me guys. Always a blast. Hey, remember to tweet us at Over the Ball, like us on Facebook and Instagram, and write a review. In fact, make us one of your favorites. It makes a big difference. All right, always great getting caught up with Eric, uh, your old friend, Grail. You've known him yeah. a long time, but uh, yeah, he's doing a great job. So it was he was always a, very, a real student of the game as, yeah, as, but, as, a, as a teammate. Yeah, and that comes across. You know, yeah. he he loves it, and you know, it was funny because you you have your passions and you follow it, and uh, you know, he's not making any money doing it for years, and all of a sudden, all that knowledge gets to be. Uh, put into your broadcast so and it sounds like he's really doing his work three hours a game he puts in ahead of time to sort of uh, you know figure stuff out so it was Sam, not lost on me about pronouncing names by the way Sam for your Syria ah uh, they've pronouncing names well I'm the worst like <laughs> well, I said I can barely English well, is not my bestest language never yeah, mind for you know, John Krakauer would be happy with it <laughs> uh, I can speak a couple languages but it because of soccer, but all I, all I can do is swear and ask for the ball. There uh, we go. You know, in different ways. So that's good stuff. So, I, you know, I wanted to just mention this quickly, this uh, referee who lost his shit, because I had one, and I've talked about it on the show before, playing in the indoor league. You know, I used to, you know, quite uh, get, get, uh, get on the referees a little bit in one time playing against the Canton invaders, the referee just stopped in the middle of the game and goes, fuck you, Flynn. And it like just hit me. I just started laughing. And then he started laughing. And I was like, you know what? These guys are human. You just, you know, we just give them a rasher of shit over and over and over again. And you think nothing's going to happen. Well, that's their job. They're not supposed to be able to come back. But one referee did, Sam, right? Yeah. So this this is an article in The Guardian from a couple of weeks ago by Max Rushton that I found really interesting. And it, it tells the story that a lot of people know by now already, but about a ref in an EFL match, which I think is the second level in England, um, yep. who basically just lost it and kind of, you know, got into the face of a player and started yelling at him. And um, inevitably he got, you know, reprimanded for it afterwards. There's some physical but, contact, right? Yeah, there was a little, I think, you know, chest bumping. A lot and, of staring. Yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> it was, it was pretty intense. Um, the, uh, yeah. So uh, anyway, the, the, the article though is interesting and I, why I find it interesting is this guy says, basically, you know, this is kind of the inevitable outcome, right. Of the amount of abuse officials take right, and right. that this, this shouldn't really be a surprise. Um, and, and he cited a game he was playing in, in a lower, much lower non-professional league where this happened, where the ref was taking a lot of criticism all game. And he basically just like broke down and lost it. And the response was really interesting, which was that he said for the rest of the game, everybody was just on their best behavior. And they right. were, you know, oh, that was off me. Like, don't worry about it. It's a little bit like when you go too far in class and, you know, you make the teacher cry and then you say like, all right, let's like be good for the last 10 minutes or something. Um, so anyway, I, but what's been implemented in his league is a sin bin, which allows for a referee now to send a player off for 10 minutes at a time if they abuse an official. It's a long time. I believe yeah. without having to give a red or a yellow card. So it gives this sort okay. of intermediary option 
yeah. for referees. And he's like, I like that, man. I like, like that one. It's like an unsportsman like in hockey. So. Exactly. Um, yeah. And he says that it actually works really well and that the abuse has gone down considerably in his league. So I, he, he throws out the idea of, you know, implementing it at, at the top level, which yeah. who knows if we'll ever I see I like it, that but, because, you yeah. know, there, there's, there are repercussions from, you know, getting on the referee. And if you see it happen once, it won't happen with really probably anybody else because they'd be like, "Ah, oh, you can't yell at this guy." Well, and also, and also, it makes your you know you're hurting your team and your teammates, so your right. teammates get involved with you and say, "Don't do that anymore." Right? right? Well, I like, yeah. What's so weird about the yellow card is like it, it, you're allowed to say some things to the ref, but then all yeah. of a sudden you cross a line and it's worth a yellow card. So, like, why are we even letting it approach that? Why not just say yeah. like, "Okay, you said something," like you're off for ten minutes. There's no there's no discussion. I was I was playing in a in a summer kick around league where the fans for one particular team kept either running onto the field, yelling, throwing stuff, and there was like the referees couldn't do anything. Yeah, it seemed it seemed, and and so you know I said to the head of the league, I said, well, you you punish the team for their fans, and it won't happen again because the players will come off the field and be like, what are you guys doing? Right. Shut up. Well, that's right. why we always said in the the racism issue is if you make people forfeit games mm -hmm. that will that will register with the fans if if the fans have created an environment whereby their team has to forfeit points right that that will probably lead you, you do you need to do stuff that's actually going to shake people up so i think it's a great suggestion sam yeah, stuff. So, all right, Sam. So you have a, a quiz for us today. Yeah, I got a quiz. Also got a few betting picks. Um, I just ah, you know, I have to be honest. Money. And, well, I'm not who's, making money. You know, I have to who's be Who's making money on OTB? Not I got us. my picks That's after it. you, Sam. Well, first of all, I, you know, I live in New York State, so I'm not allowed to bet legally. So I'm not even wagering any money, but I would have been losing money anyway last weekend because I lost both my picks. Look at you covering your ass that. legally. I love it. But uh, this week, what I'm going to do is what I used to do in Italy all the time, which is a three-team parlay. So I like Spezia to beat Benevento at home, uh, Fiorentina to beat Parma at home, and Sampdoria to beat Cagliari at home. That all comes to five euro to win 44. So you can take those games individually, or you can throw them together like I have. Wow. Sam, can I, I do I my picks? I understood about a third of that. Go ahead. All right. Great. My, my quick picks, because uh, we got Liverpool, Chelsea today. I'm going to say one all, kind of just a defensive, you know, boring game. And then I like Man City 2-0 over Man United. Okay. That's on yeah. Sunday. Yeah. I think at least at least 2-0. Man, Man City is just rolling, baby. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right, so I don't even know how I got down this rabbit hole anymore, but I was looking at passes and types of passes across the top five Euro leagues for this season to date, seeing what I could find behind, uh, you know, the numbers. So uh, this is courtesy of whoscored.com. I'm wondering if you guys can tell me first off what the average number of passes attempted per team in a match across England, Italy, France, Germany, and Spain is for this season. Per match, huh? So I'm how many say, passes? I'm going to does... say 250. Okay. I'm say 187. Okay. It's actually 460.5. Oh Whoa. I guess that makes sense though, right? Yeah. It's like, I was oh, thinking per team. Was that, that was total? No, that's per team. Okay. 450. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I'm trying to change and pad his answer. No, no, no. You should, have thought, you should have thought back to what you said earlier, where yeah. Man United and Chelsea was a thousand square balls. Cause that would have gotten <laughs> that's, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. true. So, uh, okay, which league has the highest average pass attempts per team per game of the five, the big five? I'm going to say Syria. 
say EPL. Okay, it is England at 474.6. Which new EPL grill, not not your old EPL. Which league has the lowest average pass attempts per team per game? Uh, The Manhattan Kickers. I'll say Bundesliga. Bundesliga, huh? That's a Serie A. Uh, it's actually Spain, La Liga, with 433. Now, I would have said that the highest average passive attempts would definitely have been in Spain, uh, would have been my answer. And it's actually the lowest, which is pretty hmm. interesting. interesting. So uh, for comparison, yeah. so the average is 460.5, the high is 474.6, the low is 433. Where do you think MLS falls in that? Oh, I'd say... Uh, yeah, I don't uh, think there is I'd much say possession. The yeah, I'd, I'd say... say yeah, do you want a number, Sam, or just... Ooh, I'd, say, I'd say I'd uh, say I'd say below 380. I'm gonna go with 350. Okay, it's actually 446.3 from Come 2020 on. from the 2020 season. So that's yeah, lower not than the, realist, yeah. not giving them enough props. Exactly. So it's lower than the European average, but you know certainly better than Spain is doing. It's funny because uh, I think of my more long ball in my head for some yeah. reason. Yeah. So well, it's perfect because what is the average number of long balls attempted per team per game across Europe? And I don't know exactly what that means, whether that's over 15 yards or what, but 37. Mean, um, I'm going to go with 55. Okay, close. 58.7. Okay. So which league has the highest average long balls attempted per team per game? You know where we should go immediately based on history, but as you pointed out, funny history has changed. EPL is different now. Yeah, Um, yeah, because there's no English players. (laughs) I'm going to go Bundesliga. I know I got that wrong last time, but Bundesliga with long balls. Okay, Kevin. Series. Wow. Uh, I'll say La Liga. Okay, you're right. Spain, which is surprising nice. to me. 63.4 yeah. is the average. Well, because the other one was a surprise with La Liga as well. Yeah. yeah. So which league has the lowest average long balls attempted per team per game? The EPL. Yeah, I'll go with that. Uh, so that's actually Serie A at 55.1. Okay. Yeah, Sam Serie A on the board. I'm like so, one for 10. So where does MLS figure in that? schematic so 58.7 is the average 63.4 is the high 55.1 is the low where do you think MLS i think they're lands? around i think they're somewhere between 55 and 60 i'd say 60 my... yeah okay 59.5 so okay. just oh, over the average but not not as much as in spain yeah well we gotta give them their props there it is stuff. yeah so wait i still got one more here uh what is the average number of short passes attempted per game across europe per team um 250 what, what was uh, yeah i was gonna go in the 200s um i'm gonna so go remember, a little higher 260 okay it's actually uh 401.7 so remember 460 is the average per team per game total oh, right. so you got so between that oh, and the long ball that's exactly that's the only two choices right well, so, so balls. 401.7 so which team or sorry which league has the highest average short passes attempted per team per game See, I would I would say La Liga. Well, we're thinking in the old school, though. Yeah, I know. No, I'm just gonna stick with La Liga. I'd say EPL. To go with my gut. Okay, it's EPL. Yeah, it was surprising to me too. Four seventeen point point seven. So this is is the thing, guys. I mean, the EPL, like we always make the jokes about the long ball because that's all the English. 
no, no, the English coaches over here, like, you know, right. just knock it forward, get stuck in a mixer. Yeah. So when you, when you look at the number, I'm not going to do this because you could go down a real rabbit hole, but what really helps out the EPL are that Liverpool, Chelsea, and Man City have just an Fire. enormous numbers of the short passes. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and then it evens out and, you know, falls off pretty precipitously. But um, so last question or second to last, which league has the lowest average short passes attempted per team per game? La Liga would be. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, La Liga. If we're, if we're... I'll go with Syria. Okay, it's, it is La Liga, which is again surprising. Three sixty nine point six per team per game. So MLS from twenty twenty. What do you think the average attempted short passes per team per game is? Four hundred one point seven is the European average. Yeah, so three ninety. I'm gonna say right around the same. So three eighty six point eight. Look at me, man! So, I'm a math genius. Yeah, you're really right on that. I think Grail just trying to draft off me. No, yeah. I was. I so know, you I know, this, this is just this one year. I don't know if it's it that. It actually shows that MLS away, is but... fairly comparable. Yeah, and it shows I that mean, Spain again. I think Spain only had one team in Barcelona that uh, averaged over six hundred pass attempts per yeah. game, and then it falls off really fast. So I think yeah. what it proves is I'm a D one mathematician. Is what it proves. I think. <laughs> Yeah, Man Man City would strike me as kind of fairly close to La Liga, right? You know I what's mean, interesting, though, guys? Watching Liverpool play this past week, they played more long balls than they have in the past. Well, they've always played a lot, a lot, a lot of long balls from the wing backs. But I, yeah, but yeah, but absolutely, I think you know coming out of the back with Van Dyke has been very different than with what they have now, and they've gotten caught with the ball, you know, right. back there a bunch of times, and so. They barely ever went long, even Allison, and he's gotten caught a couple of times now. So, uh, well, they haven't more recently, but last year yeah. when they were on their run, they had a lot of long balls from Arnold and Robertson on the flanks. Right. And I think they, it's sort of opened things up for Liverpool a little bit. So, yeah. we'll see what happens today when they take on Tuchel's Chelsea, really Grail's Chelsea. Yeah. Good stuff, Sam. Man, that's a, you got it through, went through a lot of number two pencils there going that one. Yep. And uh, it's a lot of work to make Grail and I look like morons. Well, actually, it's very easy think, to make us look like morons. I think I just crunched the numbers and I got 1% correct. I know. I'm going to have to take a nap. That was a lot of math for me. So, all right, guys. Uh, anything else before we get going yeah. here? No. Good stuff. Good show. It was great talking to Eric. Uh, boy, I'd love to see his uh, his growth as a broadcaster. Um, it's, uh, it's It's been really fun to watch and be in sports. Um, you watch them a ton don't you grail i get well yeah i get them on my uh optimum service one of our 1100 one of our 1100 soccer services that we have to subscribe to now to cover the game well i'll be on peacock at three o'clock this afternoon for liverpool chelsea yeah and uh, i will as well but a little uh, a little earlier for me here on the west coast so all right everybody that's all the time we have on over the ball i'd like to thank our guest eric krakauer from b in sports for sam griswold and grail hallett i'm kevin flynn and we'll talk to you next time on otb 